I am excited about this episode because the rumors in the hot tub industry over the last, let's be honest, two years have just been insane. I think I've heard that every single company is for sale or about to be bought, but that has actually happened. Monomoy Capital, a private equity firm, bought both Marquis and Artesian, and they've made it pretty clear they're looking for other companies in this space to add to their new, the new platform they are building in our industry. I convinced Jim Johnston, Marquis' Vice President of Sales and Marketing, to come on the podcast and talk about what this acquisition means for Marquis and the industry. Enjoy. This is the Spa Retailer Podcast, where we talk retail, business, and all things related to the hot tub industry. I'm your host, Megan Kendrick, owner of Spa Retailer Magazine. Welcome to the Spa Retailer Podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Jim Johnston from Marquis. Jim, you I feel like you recently got a new title. What's your what's your title these days? I'm now the VP of sales and marketing. Originally I was a VP of marketing. All right, so they've just added to your duties. Exactly. <laughs> um so there's been a lot of news going around the industry lately and some of the big news is that Marquis was acquired by a venture capital firm. Is that correct? Actually, it's a private equity. Private firm. equity. See, venture capital, private equity. I knew I was going to say that wrong. This is not something we talk about a whole lot in the hot tub industry. So I'm going to have to work on my work on my terms. <laughs> right, right. All right. So purchased by a private equity firm. Correct. Um, is, along with Artesian. And they have made it very clear they're looking for other manufacturers in the hot tub industry to purchase as well. So that is the big thing that I want to talk to you about, about how all of that went, how it came to be, what it kind of means for Marquis and for the industry. But first, as we always do, we need to find out a little bit more about you and how you ended up in this in this wacky, wacky <laughs> industry. So what's what's your background? Um, I've been in the industry now 15 years. Yeah, I think you started like a year before I did, or maybe two. I was in the sporting goods world for about th 30 years. So I'm 112 years old. Perfect. But after 20 years in a corporate uh, situation and then 10 years as a consultant and a, and a contract uh, provider of services, uh, I decided I want to get back on a team someplace and uh, ended up, a headhunter called me about Marquis and uh, actually he called and, and we had a two or three interviews and uh, he never divulged the company and, and it was took, took him to the second interview to tell me it was a hot tub company and I almost laughed because I didn't I didn't know anything about the industry yeah I actually had a hot tub in my backyard I didn't remember the brand um, you know it, it was funny at the time because I was clearly clueless when I got here <laughs> what kind of what kind of sporting goods did you do I worked for a Japanese corporation called Desant, and we did uh, ski wear and golf and tennis and running and uh, team sports and a variety of other things. Okay, okay. So there's got to be a lot more of crossover between sporting goods and hot tub than you would think, probably. Yeah, the, the true common thread is that a very large part of the 
performance apparel side of and the performance hardware side of sports goes through mom and pop retail and uh you know specialty ski shops specialty bike shops specialty swimwear shops uh, and so the the culture of that kind of merchant being the customer for hot tubs was really very similar so you've been at marquee for 15 years but can you tell us some of the history of Marquis and how it got sure. started? I've I've been there a couple of times to Independence, Oregon, so I feel like I have a little bit better sense of what Marquis is than I do some other brands. Yeah. Well, Marquis was started about uh, 41 years ago now, 42 years ago, something like that, um, by three families. And uh, I think it was five years later after uh, – and it was started in a barn – and uh, about five years later, after they had persevered, uh, it was acquired by um, a firm uh, called Wexco that owned a pool products company back east in Pennsylvania primarily. And they bought the hot tub company and acquired it and put it into their mixture of brands. Marquis evolved to where I think it was in the year 2000, maybe it was a little bit 2005 maybe, that it became an employee-owned company, an ESOP, where um, over time the former owners um, sold increasing amounts of shares of the business to the employees. And about, I don't know, I think it was maybe five, six, seven years ago now, time flies when you're having fun in this business, um, it became 100% owned by the employees. So when it's 100% employee-owned, does that mean that Wexco is kind of out of the picture, or do they still have a seat on the board, well, we, or how does that... Wexco ultimately did, divested itself of the other companies that it had had, okay. and Wexco largely was just marquee in the last okay. couple of years. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So... We, I mean, I already kind of screwed this up, but I mean, do we do we call this an acquisition then? When you have a private equity firm come in like this, it is they it are was. they are buy, they have bought Marquee. Correct. They so, the came in and purchased the business. Okay, so what does that mean for? I mean, since it is an ESOP, what does that mean for the employees? Like, is, do they all get they all get a little a little piece of that? If you've qualified as a as an ESOP shareholder and employee, and you have to be around for a year, basically, and then over the next five years, I think it was six years, you would increasingly. You're vested. Yeah, you're you're vested. Uh, sometimes uh, I do know the right uh, words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes there's room in my head for something to come up that makes sense, but not always. So a vested, fully vested employee um, ends up having shares, and when the business was sold, however many shares were out there, was divided up by the money that came in, and that mm -hmm. money went to the employees. That's pretty cool, actually. Yep, it really was. And, you know, it's funny because when this news came out, I had someone text me and they're like, you know, there I know a lot of people who've been at Marquis for 30, 30 plus years. Um, he's like, you, sh you should talk to them. This is a really kind of great thing for them. Yeah, it, it truly has been. And, you know, on the factory floor, there were probably, I think the number was over 70 employees, many of them hourly workers with not real high wages, obviously, in yeah. this industry. and. Um, they were getting low to mid six figures added to their retirement accounts because of what happened here. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of life-changing stuff right there for some people, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah. It truly is. Yeah. So we were, as the board contemplated the sale of the business, and when the opportunity came to, to do this in the, in the interests of the shareholders, they really couldn't say 
no, it made too much sense to do it for the people who own the company. Sure. But of course, now they now they do not own the company. It is no Correct. longer an ESOP. Correct. I learned that yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So when did you guys start going through this process and thinking that, you know what, maybe we need to look for a buyer, I guess? Well, in, in candor, about three years ago, we started to look once and uh, got somewhat into the process with one entity and didn't feel comfortable that it was going to be a good match, and we terminated the conversation. Okay. But then in the fourth quarter of 2020, the board decided that it was time to start looking again. The market was doing what it was doing, and the long-term obligations to take care of the retirement of the employees would only grow over the years ahead and would require more and more money from the company. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you can't put a lot of your money back into the business. You have to take care of the retirements. So sure. it was probably a good idea to see if there wasn't a, a good value today or in, in some period of time close that they could make the sale and get the money into the hands of the employees that were there. Sure. So fourth quarter 2020, and then I think it was June that we narrowed the uh, broker's search down to ultimately three firms mm -hmm. that were interested in, in taking a run at us. And uh, we interviewed them all, um, got a sense of their vision for the future, mm -hmm. and we felt the most comfortable with Monomoy and what they wanted to do with the business going forward. Did you have any idea that they were also talking to other hot tub manufacturers at that time? Or I mean, I know that these things are very like, you know, there's a lot of um, attorneys involved and a lot of, you know, do not disclose to stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, did you guys have any idea that there was anything else? It was certainly never openly discussed. Sure. I mean, this industry is nothing but rumors and... Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I would, yeah, I've, I've heard, I've pretty much heard every single hot tub yeah. manufacturer well, I've been for here sale 15 at this point. Years and this, and I, always been for sales as far as I could tell for 15 <laughs> years. So, but, um, we, you know, we assumed that there was probably other things uh, mm -hmm. evolving mm -hmm. outside of us, Yeah, but it was never part of the discussion about us. Sure. Okay. What does this process look like? And it's it's got to be a little bit different for you guys because you're an ESOP. You don't just have one person who's, who you know, one owner who's saying yeah. you can or can't do this. I will or won't work with this company. So for you, there's probably even more, I guess, hoops to jump from than it would be in another kind of acquisition or sale. I mean, when I bought the magazines, it was just me and Dave talking on the phone. <laughs> right, right, right. No, it, it definitely was more complicated. And I think it, it, it gave Monomoy the sort of a, an extra couple of hoops it had to jump through too and, and required it to have a little more patience in the process than they might have otherwise done with another company selling to a mm -hmm. company. But ultimately it got from the board's decision to put it up for sale and from the time that the board decided to recommend the sale, then the next step was for, for um, all of the employees to be assembled, explain to them what was being offered and then to have a vote. And then they had, I think it was 20 days to submit their votes. And there's one other step too. There's a, a an ESOP trustee who right. kind of oversees the interests of all the shareholders. Okay. And they also had to issue an opinion. And their opinion of this deal was that it was an excellent deal. Mm -hmm. So their recommendation was to the, to the shareholders was, uh, this is a good offer, you, you should consider it. When the employees voted, it was an overwhelming yes. 
Okay. So, I mean, that was actually going to be one of my questions too, was at what point do the employees know? Because again, when you're doing this privately, there's, there's no employee input. It's basically like you, you go to sleep one night working for someone, you, you wake up the next night, you know, the next day working for someone else. Right. But so in this case, they actually had a, had a voice and had a say in whether or not they wanted this to move right. forward. Uh, well, we couldn't be very open with it for much of the process. I right. mean, for, you know, most of 2021 mm-hmm. was spent in this process and yeah. we didn't really get the employee sign off to, to approve it until... I want to say it was October. It might have even been November, but uh, the actual transaction went through on December 20th. I mean, at that point, I guess the cat's kind of out of the, like, once you tell the employees, the cat's kind of out of the bag at (laughs) that point, right? And pretty much the whole industry knows. (laughs) Right, right. Okay, there's really no keeping it really under wraps at that point. No, and and even before it was at that point, there were questions from vendors about, because in the due diligence process from the company that's buying. Everyone gets phone calls. Everyone gets phone calls. And we could um, limit who could be called to a certain extent. Mm Mm-hmm and recommend who they called and speak to. And obviously we try to have people that we could trust could be discreet. But it's a very small industry. Everybody knows everything about everybody. And or at least they think they do. <laughs> yeah, right. And, uh, you know, we just, we knew it would, eventually it would be an issue. And, of course, in the final stages, there was all kinds of bizarre stories about what, what the deal was. And, it, you know, it wasn't what those stories were. It was a real straightforward opportunity for our people. Sure. So... Can you tell us any details about the deal, or is that all? No. Okay. I mean, I, I, I didn't there, think there so, a... but I was like, I mean, might as well ask the question. There was a good amount of money that was paid for the business, right. and it, it was distributed to the employees. Perfect. All right. So there, that's all. We, that's all we get. That's fine. So what happens? What happens now? I mean, what happens to the existing marquee executives and, and people? I mean, who? I mean, I mean, I feel like that's probably the second question that I get from most people in the industry is like, well, who's staying and who's going and who's retiring? And I mean, I, do you even know the answer to that at, some, at this point? Yeah, I'm sure it's an evolving answer, to be honest. Sure, yeah. I, um, originally, um, in the discussions about the sale, the Monomoy, and, and this is normally their pattern, they, they hope that the management teams stay mm-hmm. because they don't pretend to be hot tub experts. They don't pretend to right. be... Uh, of the industry yeah. per se, they want people who are experts and to be part of the situation. And the leadership at Marquee is staying. John has had decided even prior to this to begin a transition away from formerly being the CEO and president to becoming just the CEO okay. and a little bit more with, involved with what was ex, Wexco at the time. But he was still involved in the business, and he still is going forward. He's just probably going to spend a little less time involved with what we're doing than he otherwise sure. would have done. So, you know, you said they're they're not hot tub experts. So what what would Monomoy be experts in? Well, they've definitely had mid-market manufacturing company expertise, and a, a lot of those products are consumer-facing. Um, they, had, they knew a lot about the retailing of products from other companies that they own. And I think at the moment they have 15 companies, 13 of which are outside our industry. But I think they're they're managing in their funds. I think fifteen total entities right now. What was the reaction from your dealer base? Because I'm so we're at your dealer conference right now in Florida, and the Monomoy people spoke yesterday, and you know all the dealers are here, and I most of it was just kind of like just kind of business as usual. I didn't get a lot of anxiety coming from right. from the tables surrounding me. Yeah, well, I'm sure there was uncertainty on, on some level within many people, but in candor. 
you know, once we were able to start to talk about this in the final stage when the deal was closing, we had already talked to our dealer advisory board. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them were actually part of the due diligence process where they were spoken to. Of course. You know, to find yeah. out what, what it is. So that's our top, you know, 15, 20 dealers. So that they kind of already knew a little bit about what was happening. Mm -hmm. But then the rest of the dealer base, when it was revealed, I mean, you know, the next day, the same people were answering the phone and the answers were all pretty positive about what we hope this will mean going forward and what we think it means going forward. So, and that was seven weeks ago now that it was announced for us. And uh, I think everyone, and now that we've also gotten together with 80 of our dealers here in, in Florida um, and 250 people or whatever it was that we had here, you know, I think everyone seems to be very uh, optimistic and, and expectant that uh, things are going to become stronger. You know, so the Monomoy people were speaking yesterday. So I feel like I've got, I feel like I have more information now than I started with when we first talked about doing this podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. What were some of the things that they saw in Marquee or, you know, that were like, this is, this makes this a good company to buy. I, I'm, I heard some of their answers yesterday, but what were some of the things that they told you guys that like, this is the stuff that we look for when yeah. acquiring a company? And it, it was actually, it's scalable in terms of Marquee obviously was doing a lot of things really well but wanted to do more of it. Now it was also com complicated by the COVID reality and the supply chain disruptions. Mm -hmm. So it probably was a lot harder for them to do some assessments of the situation as they thought about buying this company or the artesian company when mm -hmm. they did. But anyway, looking at us, they just said, this is a well-run business and it, it can produce more. We have some ideas about some of the IT things that we can bring to this, some of the manufacturing enhancements we can bring to this some of the potentially some of the investment in in people that we can bring to this so their goal was to use the acquisition of artesian and the acquisition of marquee as two cornerstone pieces of a puzzle where they call it a platform they're going to build a platform to be in the pool and spa industry and you know there's going to be a a CEO over all of it. There'll be a CFO over all of it. There'll be a, probably a CIO and, and all the other Cs. And so, you know, but they're, they're, they're smart people who know how, who have done a lot of successful growing of businesses in the manufacturing world. And, you know, we, we can, as a company too, as our own management team, and as we looked at our future, what did we want to achieve? And we wanted to build a stronger thing that would go on and do more. Mm -hmm. And, some of it was, you know, just we needed more horsepower out of out of somebody like a Monomoy to come in and help make that happen. Mm -hmm. So, and that's what is starting to happen. We're only seven weeks into the process, but we're really very pleased. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you'd seen any, I mean, if there, if you see or feel any changes at this point. I mean, it's like you said, it's so early in the process, but... Well, I can tell you there's a lot more meetings right now. <laughs> you sound really excited about that. <laughs> no, but you would, you would expect that when, when sure. new ownership steps into any environment. Right. But they're also, they have some formulas and they have some templates, if you will, that they use and have used successfully in many other places. Mm -hmm. So as we learn how to use those things and as we step into it, we, 
we expect a similar kind of progress to come out of what we do. Yeah. I mean, so something I learned yesterday is that a lot of the people at Monomoy come from Toyota factories. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I mean, I mean, they're kind of, Toyota's kind of famous for running their, Processing. you know, yeah, they're lean efficient manufacturing. So that's kind of exciting for me because as we know, building a hot tub is not the easiest it's a lot of hands and a lot of people. It's not very, it's not super automated and for a lot of reasons. And so I, I'm really interested to see what they can bring to that to, you know, make, I mean, the, honestly, the whole industry more efficient and sure. and faster and all of the things that you, you think of when you think of a Toyota plant. <laughs> right, right. And, and I think, you know, just progress is going to take you down that path, whether you go kicking and screaming or whether right. you go running ha- happily down, <laughs> yeah, down the sure. road. But this will be an enhancement to our ability to get after things and make it more valuable for the company as well as our co- dealers who are going to be selling to consumers. You know, for the first time since I've been in the hot tub industry, we are starting to see private equity come mm-hmm. into into the hot tub industry, you know, with, with you guys on Artesian and then obviously with core covers and i'm sure there's more going on that mm-hmm. you know we don't know about right now right why why do you think that there's this sudden interest in in the hot tub industry well i don't know that it's sudden i, I think i think they're different things hit the radar and i think the lifestyle in america um, and and the quality of life drivers that have people entering into new behaviors and buying different products mm-hmm. now and thinking about those things we're all good indicators, and and one of the things that is very true about Monomoy and and uh, our experience anyway with them is that they're very data driven. They they spend a lot of time looking at a lot of trends and a lot of information, and they they have a lot of experts who can contribute insights from what that data represents. So, I think overall, you looked at our culture, you looked at the. the the phenomena of health and wellness and and probably to an industry with a lot of smaller fragmented players where if if a couple of strong ones came in who could consolidate some things and and bring in some systems that were more sophisticated and more effective that you know there, there's probably a very strong reason to to be investing in this world right yeah, now ab- absolutely i mean i think i think that's something that's really exciting about seeing this in the industry is that I think it just points toward the potential for further growth for the industry that we have not peaked yet, right? Even though we're we've had you know some of the best sales we've had ever in any in our careers, it's there's still more to come and still better things that we can do. And so I think th- that's what excites me about seeing this is that there are people from outside the industry who look at all the numbers, who run all the things, who look at our industry and say, "Yeah, we want in on that." Yep, I, I agree with you. I mean. Smart people and, and strong organizations don't chase after things that don't make sense. Right. And uh, I think the message is that this industry and its opportunity is very, a very logical one, and it's got a big upside to it, so they're going to get involved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for those of us who stay with it and, and go after it, I think we'll have a, a very positive experience from it. I think for the dealers, which is really – Often the common question is, how does this help a dealer? And I'm sure it was one of your questions well, it eventually. Might be, it might be on my list. <laughs> yeah, right. um, I think it's that they're going to be able to increasingly see and experience a more effective vendor in Marquee. And, you know, some of our systems, we, you know, we, we didn't even have digital ordering yet. You know, we were still dealing with, you know, guys talking to their sales guy or, or calling yeah. dealer services yeah. and putting in their orders. It'd be really tough in this crazy COVID time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
So, I mean, some some IT related things like that that get enhanced. Some other, again, manufacturing lean processes. We were a pretty lean organization already, but other things to help fuel uh, our ability to make the products more successfully, I think is going to come from this. And how great that you have someone who has already done a lot of that vetting and trial and error process before they try to do things at your company. So you're not out there um, trying to evaluate software and that kind of stuff or build it, which is such a nightmare. (laughs) You kind of have someone who already knows and already has their go-to and you can just... You know, I mean, not like not that implementation isn't painful, right. but you you skip some of that beginning stuff that's not fun. Right. You know, coming out of if I think back now to '08 and '09 when things were really rough in the economy and and all of the companies had to downsize or hold on for dear life while we were all trying to wait for things to pick up again. Right. You know, a lot of the the muscle of companies was was taken out or weakened because of those day, those years and over those years we've been since then we've been rebuilding but i think you know we're going to benefit from getting more people with more skills involved with more processes and we're going to end up being able to do more with it as a company yeah. and so our dealers are definitely going to benefit they're going to they're going to feel a strength from the brand that they certainly understood before and trusted before, but I think we're just going to earn even greater trust as a result of this. Is there anything else that you think people, dealers, your dealers, or people in the industry should know about what's going on and what you guys have planned for, you know, that, that we, I mean, so just, just for, so the whole audience knows, Jim likes to give me a very hard time when I ask him for information because he, he likes to keep things as close to the vest as possible. And so even getting him on the podcast is a bit of a, um, a bit a, of a get, yeah, get a bit of a stretch <laughs> for him. <laughs> well, I, you know, I have often failed to see the logic in sharing <laughs> um, the the inner secrets of Marquis' uh, successful evolution to, <laughs> so that other companies can copy it more easily. Said like a true hot tub veteran. <laughs> <laughs> so, but anyway, um, other things that we should share. I don't know, Megan. I, I'm really optimistic. I'm very pleased. You know, again, the, the leadership team at Marquis hanging in there. We have had, I think, one, one of the things with the... Uh, shareholders getting the money they're getting in their retirements it did increase the time or pick up the pace of their retirement planning sure. for a few of them yeah and you know that's i hate it because they're often the ones who've been around a long time and they're good at what they do and they they were part of the culture of marquee but i love it because you know that that's why they worked so hard all those years exactly. was to have something like that yeah. so you know, we're, we are going to have a few more retirements sooner than we would have otherwise had. But um, overall, this has just been a wonderful thing. Yeah. And so, you know, that's not an indication that people are unhappy and, and leaving Marquis. It's, oh, an, no. it's an indication that they, they got their money for all their hard work and they are ready to enjoy that stage of their life. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. We haven't had anybody run because they're afraid of being PE owned company. <laughs> That's good. So I don't think I sent you these ahead of time, but do you, do you want to do the Spa Retailer 5? Spa Retailer 5. I wish you could see his face right now because he's like, oh, no. <laughs> we ask all of our guests the same five questions at the end of the end of the interview. I guess I've never made it to the end of your other podcast that I've listened to them. <laughs> either that or my normal memory is back in play. Well, they're not too tough, so I think you, I think you can handle it. All right. Well, all right give so, me hand signals if right. I seem to be drifting okay. on you. Okay. All right. It's fine. Well, so what oh, – this is when sometimes we drift the worst. 
So what was your what was your first real job? Uh, my first real job, other than delivering newspapers. Or, no, that that counts as a first real job. Uh, okay, I had a bicycle and a, and a newspaper route until a Doberman Pinscher put me on top of a parked car, and then I said that's not going to be next. So that, that ended pretty quickly. I mean, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good first job story. <laughs> <laughs> right up until the time I had to climb up on the car to get away from the dog. <laughs> Do you remember your first? I mean, this is a little different because you're not well. Do you remember your first hot tub sale or hot tub related sale? No, I, I remember my first. I remember when I bought my first hot tub, which oh. uh, which I always found to find to be an interesting story. Yeah. Um, your first ultimate, hot tub. So you've had multiple hot tubs at this well, point. Well, I, I owned a hot tub be, before. I bought my first hot tub in 1995. Okay. And the reason I bought my hot tub was not because I really wanted a hot tub. It was because my son was about to get his driver's license. Mm. And a store down in Denver where I live uh, had a sale going on about buy a hot tub and a pool table and get some deal, you know. And I figured, okay, a pool table in the basement and a hot tub in the backyard. And maybe my son and his buddies would hang around our house more than go driving all over the place. I, mean, I don't think that's a bad reason to get a hot tub <laughs> or a pool table, honestly. I mean, it seems pretty smart to me. Did it work? And interestingly enough, the guy that sold me the hot tub some 11 years later, I come to find is the general manager of all of the marquee retail stores in Oregon. So, um, small world. Yeah, and, I'd uh, say so. So that was my first story with hot tubs. Yeah, that's funny. Well, so well he's the only first I'm going to talk about in a hot tub. <laughs> so did you? <laughs> so did, did your son and his friends hang out at your house then? Yeah, they did. That's they really good. did. That's good. I, I asked people what was their biggest flop and what is their their biggest success in their in their I mean business or job I mean it could be anything if this is a hard one you haven't had a chance to think about it although some people know right away like well I brought this product into our store and it and it was a terrible or we went to this home show and didn't get a single sale <laughs> biggest flop well one I I don't even know if I consider it a flop but many many years ago what was it, it must have been um 2009 maybe we came out with a bamboo exterior to show our dealer uh, dealer advisory board to get a sense of how about this deviation from the traditional look of a hot tub right and there wasn't a single dealer that thought it was worth anything and it looked like a you know i don't know what you call it maybe maybe a, a chester drawers or something you know they were just totally poo-pooing the whole idea and, it's, and I was kind of pushing it pretty hard. Yeah. Know, the new guy in the industry had been there two years or whatever. And so shot that one down. Now, eight years later, you know, it's it's a look that many of the top brands and, and high quality. You're before your time. I know. I'm before just, your time. A trendsetter. You know, you know, that's like the theme of our, our meeting here this week was uh, Back to the Future. And uh, Is that what you were thinking of when you guys yeah. came up with that? <laughs> well, no, well, Remember actually, when, guys? <laughs> no, what I was thinking about really was we've gone through two years of hell with uh, all of the chaos of COVID and, and the supply chain disruptions. And we had, as almost everybody I know, not just our industry, but quit talking about the future in the ways that they used to and uh it was time for us to get back to talking about the future and thinking about the future and yeah getting after it yeah i love that and it's it's so true i you know in this time at least for the magazine there's there have been a million stories we could write i mean there's a ton of stuff going on there's a lot to talk about 
But when it comes to, again, like, like you said, the future or new things or, well, what are you working on for, what are you working on next? There's a lot of blank, a lot of blank stares. And, you know, there just haven't, people haven't had a lot of capacity to think forward. And so it's exciting to start to hear that again, where people are looking to the future and what's next and right. making plans for, you know, what happens after Yep. This craziness goes away. Yeah, and I mean, and we got on with it a while ago, but and we launched two new products here to, at this meeting with the the new Wish hot tub that we have, and the new Destiny hot tub that we have in our Crown collection, and now we have a seven unit range in this line. And I I get the comments all the time from people we know and people outside our organization. It's, they're the most beautiful hot tubs in the industry. I mean, we, I believe it. You know, and I think it's been validated now. Yeah. And so we're excited. We've been we've invested in the continuing evolution of what we could do, and now we can do probably more as as we pick up momentum with this new ownership group and and the strengths that they bring to us. Yeah. So on the flip side, I mean, do you have a do you have a success that you like to look toward? Let's see, success. I mean, we're gonna really hold you to it. <laughs> you have to validate your numbers and everything. <laughs> Well, we've got two collections that have just fundamentally changed the power of our brand in, at retail. Mm -hmm. And it's our Vector collection and it's our Crown collection now. Right. And we're seeing just tremendous... I mean, of course, everybody's seeing the, the tide rise at the moment, but um, just the balance in, in what we have, those two lines, those two products, what they do, how they do it, they're powerful. And so I'm... I'm they are successful. Yeah. Well, and for successful. you guys too, I mean, I feel like, you know, like you said, everyone's having crazy numbers right now, but for you guys, at least for the crown, you were ready to launch that pre COVID. I mean, we <laughs> talked about it at your dealer meeting, right? Yeah. Right before, like weeks before things got shut down and went crazy. And so it seems like just being able to actually produce and get that line out, is going to be a huge success because trying to implement anything new in your manufacturing process during the last two years, I mean, people just haven't done it because right. it's, it's too, it's too hard. Yeah, it, it really is. It really has been hard. And even our vendors who would participate in some of the R and D stuff that we, they would do with us, right? they couldn't do it because yeah. they were too busy trying to keep up with the chaos that was going on with the business. Yeah. Yeah. But Cause even if you can make something new, it doesn't mean can't, that we that, can't get this up from them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, we in 2020 February we did this meeting in Salem, Oregon, and a week and a half later everything started shutting down. And uh, so we launched those three crown units then, and we launched two more in 2021 uh, mid-year, and then now we've got the last two today this week. So okay, the last the, the fifth one. Okay, the last one. So. Is there something that you particularly love to read or watch or listen to? Uh, you know, my, used to be, I used to ask people what kept you distracted during the pandemic, but now we're kind of we're kind of past the distraction point. So, just is there is there something in particular that's your kind of go to entertainment? I like to read sort of historical, uh, geopolitical books, things which reveal what really happened when back through the years you know what entities were doing and all of that i find that 
very interesting because I'm old enough to remember those days so that now I can, can find out what was going on during those days. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoy a couple of those. I, I give myself probably one a year, like one of those really thick kind of nonfiction deep dives into something. I started the People's History of the United States. Mm-hmm. I had to put it down because this was not the time for me to try to go that deep. <laughs> and that was a thick book, but I'll go back to it eventually. <laughs> That and then uh, actually, one of the most enjoyable things I now do is is literally go out on the back deck, take the, the cover off the hot tub, either sometimes turn on the micro silk, most of the time just just hit the soak button, and look up at the stars in Colorado and just kind of regroup and, yeah. and relax. I mean, I feel like if you work in this industry, that's what you should be doing, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast, and you made it through the Spa Retailer Five, so <laughs> you're, you're you're off the hook now. now. I, I do vaguely now remember you doing this <laughs> in some of these other podcasts. Well, but if I sounded stupid, I'm going to protest you. No, no. Well, I appreciate you doing this, and thanks for letting me come to the the dealer conference. Well, I always learn a lot when I'm when I'm here, and it's interesting to get into a group of dealers and hear what they're what they're talking about and what their concerns are, and so it's it's good. Well, we appreciate it, and you know. Some kudos to you, too, and I would never say it to David, but I'll even give him some credit for how he started it all back in the day. And, you know, a book that was looking at the hot tub business as the business and talking about it in ways that, that the dealers could understand and about retailing and about more than just the the parts and, and plumbing and all that kind of stuff that, that tended to be in trade books has really been a valuable thing to have. And I... I I give you credit for recognizing an opportunity and twisting David's arm to sell it to you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. All right. Well, I'll let you get back to your conference. And uh... I think actually I'm going to the bar. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Well, I might, <laughs> I might see you there. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Spa Retailer Podcast is a production of Spa Retailer Magazine. Let us know what you think by leaving a review or emailing us at podcast at spa Thanks for listening.